0: Surround yourself with a good attorney, a good accountant, a good wealth advisor, the people that are core to you in all of your different components, personal life and business life. And then make sure that you do one very important thing. Name somebody a quarterback who's in charge of making sure everybody's talking to each other so that they are all working together for your best interests. Microphone check, one, two, what is this? You're now listening to a brand new episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. Look what Let's go.
1: welcome to another episode of the play big faster podcast i am your host sheree prince and in this episode we are joined by dave bookbinder dave is a business and intellectual property valuation expert best-selling author and also the host of behind the numbers podcast hey dave how you doing
0: hey sheree great to be here thanks for having me
1: listen i love the fact that you do valuation I work with a lot of startups and small businesses, and it's always interesting when I'm talking to a founder and we're talking about the value of their business. They may have been there 30 years and they want to 30X whatever they're asking for on the asking price. And we know that it doesn't work like that all the time.
0: Yeah, very rarely. And I, I serve the same community throughout my career. And uh, what I found working with business owners and entrepreneurs, unfortunately, They rely on two valuation methods. One is the back of the envelope method, and the other one is the back of the napkin method. And honestly, neither of those will give you the right answer.
1: So tell me, how did you get into this space? You hear about little kids growing up, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a dentist. I don't know that I've ever heard anyone say they want to be a valuation (laughs) expert.
0: Hey, maybe now they do because Shark Tank made valuation sexy, or at least I like to think it did because it brought the word valuation into our living rooms. And even my kids asked, don't you do something around valuation, dad? But to your point, I I never intended to be uh, a valuation analyst. I was going for uh, my master's degree in finance some time ago and was learning about valuation concepts and looking at job ads on the university job boards and happened to see a consulting role that was open for a company that did valuation consulting. And it sounded a lot like what I was learning in grad school and thought that might be interesting. So that's how I got my foot in the door.
1: So is there one main framework that you start with when you're looking at valuing a business?
0: In terms of methodologies and how you value a business? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there's three classic approaches to value a company. One is an asset-based approach. I'm not going to get super technical here. If you want to, we'll take a deeper dive. But asset-based approach is really generally used for companies that either are very asset-heavy. So think a real estate company, right? Real estate holding company where the value of properties may be depreciated, but the book, but the fair market value of those properties are worth multiples of what book value is. The other flip side for an asset approach is if you've got a company that's going through liquidation. So where they're selling inventory, it's a 10 cents on the dollar. But generally speaking, for a going concern operating company, we don't really focus much on the, on the asset based approach. We rely on two other approaches. First one's a market based approach. And I think everybody can relate to this. If you bought a home or sold a home, you've contacted your realtor and the first thing they give you is a set of comps, right? whatever their homes sold for in the neighborhood. And then they make adjustments for square footage, the number of bathrooms and bedrooms, proximity to shopping, things like that. It's the same thing in the business valuation world. We'll develop a set of comps in the form of guideline companies or guideline transactions. And depending on the size of the, the company that we're working with, we'll try to use both of those approaches. Guideline transactions, what have businesses sold for recently that, that are in your space, that are in your industry? Each business that transacts where there's disclosure, they trade at multiples of sales, earnings, EBITDA, things like that. Then there's the other method where I refer to the guideline companies. So the concept there is if I can't invest in your privately held company, I could participate in the industry, get the upside and also take the downside risk by owning a basket of publicly traded companies that are in that general space. So each of those public companies, they're guideline companies, we used to call them comparables years ago. but Nothing's really truly comparable. They're guidelines. And each of them trades, again, at multiples of sales and earnings and EBITDA. So those are the, the various multiples that we look at. Third approach is an income-based approach where we look at it from a discounted cash flow method. The idea here really is that the valuation is forward-looking, Sheree. It's great to know what we did last year, and it's good to know what we're going to do next year. But what do the next three, four, five years look like? What's revenue growth? What's margin expansion look like? So we capture all those future economic benefits and bring them back to today's dollars at an appropriate risk rate. So those are the three ways we look at valuing a business.
1: So in this transaction, who is your client? Is your client the buyer, the seller? Is it lender who has hired you to come on and look at the and look at the value? Who are you primarily working with?
0: Yeah, all of the above, because there's so many reasons why companies need valuation. You've alluded to a couple of them. So lending is one. Merger and acquisition transactions, we help buyers, we help sellers. We also help in allocating the purchase consideration in a transaction across the intangible assets of a company. We work with lawyers, we work with business owners, folks who are gifting shares to their kids or grandkids, for example, for estate planning purposes. Owners that are working with partners for buy-sell agreements. There's a whole host of reasons why companies need valuation
1: dave i love this and there are so many questions i know we're time barred here so
0: i'm hopefully- here for you i'm here for you
1: <laughs> look tell me this we're going to put a pin in this you have yeah. a podcast so yes. i know some of these things you answer on your podcast tell us a little bit about your podcast and what you guys are doing over there
0: yeah sure thank you for that so the show is called behind the numbers and really lucky listen Notes says we're in the top three percent of shows globally and we're listened to in more than 100 countries when I dropped my first book, I got invited to be a guest at a network called RVN Television. And the owner thought that I was an interesting guest and asked me if I would like to host a show. And um, folks who know me will tell you that I'm basically a drink and a microphone away from being a game show host. So when the uh, the opportunity came to be a talk show host, I thought that's a great thing to do. So let's have some fun with it.
1: Awesome. So next time I should bring drinks is what you're saying. If we have a, our <laughs> next interview. <laughs> Good deal. So you mentioned that your first book, how many books do you have and where can we find them?
0: Yeah. So there's two books. I didn't intend to write either one of them. If you ask me, Dave, would you ever want to write a book? The answer is God, no, it's way too much work. But the funny thing is the first book is called the new ROI return on individuals. And it's a, it was a passion project for me, Sheree. So in valuing companies and their intellectual property assets for as long as I have done that, one of the IP assets or intangibles that I value is human capital. And I'll ask you a question. You probably know this. And, and if you don't, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. It's really for your audience. But every CEO on the planet says our people are the company's most valuable asset. Do you know where people or human capital appears on a financial statement? Nowhere. Yeah, you got it. it most likely you'll people will say, okay, it's an expense, salaries and benefits, right? But it's not on a balance sheet, it's not as an asset. In my world, it gets subsumed into goodwill. And honestly, I never thought that the methodologies that we use in the valuation profession really told the whole story, if people really are a company's most valuable asset. And I started by writing an article about how we value people in the valuation world in the context of this purchase price allocation thing. And some folks told me, hey, you've got to keep going with this. And I said, I never intended to do anything more. Where am I going? And interestingly, people started to show up. And I wound up collaborating with about 20 thought leaders across North America. And the book is my journey to prove that people really are a company's most valuable asset. Um, Second book is called The New ROI, Going Behind the Numbers. And it's a marriage of the brands, the podcast, and the book. And it's a compendium of the conversations that I've had on my show, Behind the Numbers, where I've talked with... CEOs, consultants, other advisors, business owners, who are doing really cool things around their corporate culture, their people, they're making the investments, and they're experiencing the kinds of ROI that I talk about. So they're living case studies, and you can get them anywhere.
1: Okay, and I'm gonna make sure that we include that also in the show notes. That is so good. So what are some things that owners need to be aware of when they are approaching possibly an exit, and they are looking to consult with someone like you, what are some of the documents or information that they may need to gather to start having those conversations with you or someone like you?
0: There's a whole host of documents that people are going to ask for. But the biggest thing that I could share with your audience is when you think about the exit, remember that it's a process, okay? It's not just a transaction and you want to start planning early and often. In an ideal situation, three to five years ahead of schedule where there's a planned exit. But you'll also hear good advice that you should run your business day to day as if tomorrow is going to be your last day in the business and you're going to exit. In other words, be exit ready. So what that means is have your financial house in order, good financial statements. As you get closer to an exit, your definition of good financial statements may change. It may be instead of having a good set of QuickBooks that you can access easier, As you get closer to a transaction it's probably going to more look like reviewed or audited financial statements so that a buyer can trust them completely there's a whole host of things there's an article on my linkedin profile called thinking of selling your company here's five things you need that may be a good resource for your audience and there's so much more we could spend an entire episode talking about these things
1: so in terms of value often if there is a company where the founder has been the face of the company or the brand of the company, there are agreements for the founder to stay on for a period of time beyond the actual sale of that company. How do you look at that in terms of value and continuity and what it does to any future value the company may have? Because it is it's intangible. It's not There's not a number that you can assign to it.
0: Yeah, so... Let me tackle it this way. So I'm also a former investment banker. I spend time in the M&A space. And what I've noticed and I've continued to see is that a lot of founders and business owners really don't want to walk away from their business unless they absolutely have to. Most of them would love the opportunity to stay in the business. I mean, it's it's their baby after all, right? They built it. They founded it. uh, They nurtured it. They watched it grow up. And they want to continue to participate in it from a buyer's lens that continuity that you referred to is critical because most often the business owner, founder, maintains a lot of the key relationships with company customers, suppliers, and even the employees. So maintaining that continuity is a win for both in a lot of circumstances. It gives the business owner entrepreneur another second bite at the apple, perhaps by staying on either Earning additional consideration in the form of an earnout in the transaction, or maybe even getting the opportunity to roll over some equity into the new company, and again participate in some upside on a next exit.
1: So, when you asked earlier, because there is value there with the founder staying, but when we talked earlier about where people are found on the balance sheet, and they're not there. From an accounting perspective, how are people valued in the company when you're looking to assign a number to the company for sale? Yeah,
0: that's the problem. That's the problematic part here. So the methodology that we use to value people is is what's called a cost to replace method. Uh, And the idea behind cost to replace is everybody's fungible. So if we have an accountant, for example, and they're paid $70,000 a year. We could replace that person with any other accountant, pay them $70,000 a year, train them, get them up a learning curve, maybe incur a a headhunter's fee, and they'll be just as good as the person that we're replacing. You and I both know that's not the case. It doesn't consider the intangible within the intangibles, the institutional knowledge, right? All that nuanced stuff that you can only get by being inside an organization and, and learning the playing field. So that's how we value people. In terms of how they wind up on the balance sheet so in this purchase price allocation where we're allocating the value of the transaction to the intangible assets of the business we start by working with the what's called the identifiable intangibles and the usual suspects are things like trade name customer relationships non-compete agreements patents technology all that sexy stuff we value the workforce in that manner i just described to essentially calculate a rental charge against another one of those assets. Let me explain that. So, for example, if we're valuing a customer relationship asset, the idea there is you can't have a good customer relationship asset unless you have a workforce servicing that customer relationship. So we charge a rent against the cash flows that are ascribed to the customer relationship value. And that's how we utilize the value of the workforce. And then the workforce value gets subsumed into goodwill.
1: So if someone engaged someone like you, we're thinking, like you said, every day that we may exit and we need to start planning three years ahead. But the actual engagement generally, how long is that from the time you start working on a transaction that someone, like I said, a six month thing? So if I called and said, hey, I'm looking to sell my business, should I be prepared to work with you three months, six months, nine months? What does that generally look like?
0: Truthfully, it depends. It really depends on everybody's facts and circumstances, depending on where they are in their process. We've got clients that are in the early stages of contemplating and recognizing that they need to be prepared for an exit. And that process can take a couple of years. And it's not like including getting their financial house in order and working with them to help them grow the value of their business, because they want to get to a certain tipping point in terms of value where it makes more economic sense for them to think about the exit necessarily but also getting them coached up and ready mentally and prepared for what the management meetings are going to be like what life is going to be like if you're no longer with your company and you could do go about the exit process so that's a several year process the flip side of that is I recently just helped a client who came to me and said look i'm talking with somebody who's making some interesting noises about acquiring us what can we do and in that circumstance in a matter of just basically two weeks we're able to pull together some information for them that was able to be tailored made for them not cookie cutter stuff but tailor-made to satisfy exactly what they needed it wasn't overkill it was the goldilocks answer to what they needed for this particular exercise
1: and speaking of custom solutions does it matter if you are a brick and mortar company versus e-commerce are there some issues that are unique to e-commerce companies because right now we're in the digital age and after covid everyone's a coach so you have all these new coaches and digital creators is there a difference in the way that you approach it
0: no those methods i described to you generally apply across the board there's certain industries that may be a little bit more nuanced like cannabis for example or crypto but generally speaking business is about cash flow so what, what does sales look like? What do margins look like? What does growth look like? That's really what investors are willing to pay for.
1: Okay, and you mentioned crypto. I didn't even think of that. What are some things that may be different when you're evaluating crypto?
0: I'll be honest with you, that is not my wheelhouse. So <laughs> I know enough about it to be dangerous, but that's not an area that I play. Crypto and cannabis are probably the only two industries I've never touched.
1: Yeah. And I mean, there are so many nuances, and even from state to state with the way that they're handled in terms of cannabis. I don't know about crypto. I'm assuming yeah. crypto there's universal stuff.
0: Yeah. Cannabis they, has actually evolved over the years and it's gotten more.
1: So are there any considerations about company culture or is that just that you consider when looking at valuation?
0: Now you're hitting me in my soft spot. I believe it's all about company culture. Because that's the whole premise of the new ROI return on individuals. And it starts with leadership and everyone's trying to get discretionary effort. They want their employees to go above and beyond. And the only way you can really do that is if you have an engaged workforce. And I don't know if you're aware, but Gallup's been doing surveys of employee engagement across the U S basically forever. And unfortunately the needle hasn't really moved much. Roughly one third of the workforce in the U S is engaged. Seven out of 10 people are checked out at work every day. Think about that. Seven out of 10 are coming into the office every day, doing the bare minimum or worse, thinking about how they're going to exit your company. So if you can get people rowing in the right direction and in the same direction, that's where you start to see the magic of discretionary effort. And that's where you start to see the economic benefits. You get to see reduced turnover that's real money. You get to see your employees become brand evangelists that helps in recruitment and retention. And that's when you also start to see things like increased sales, increased profitability, because people are innovative and you don't have to just take my word for it. There's a lot of empirical data that I point to in my books and it's even an investable strategy. So if anybody in your audience actually believes as as much as I do to my core, that your people really are your most valuable asset, you can put your money where your mouth is and participate in mutual funds essentially that are investing in companies that are doing the right things for their people.
1: So Dave, here is the toughest question you will have on the podcast. Uh If you had one piece of advice to share with an entrepreneur on how to play big faster, what would it be?
0: That is such a loaded question, Sheree, because you're right. It's it's a tough one. There's surround yourself with great people and i get this from my own experience and working with thousands of companies throughout my career and also interviewing folks on my show behind the numbers and what i'm recommending is get not only just good employees working with you but surround yourself with a we'll call it a personal board of directors if you will a good attorney a good accountant a good wealth advisor the people that are core to you in all of your different components personal life and business life And then make sure that you do one very important thing. Name somebody a quarterback who's in charge of making sure everybody's talking to each other so that they are all working together for your best interests.
1: Dave, that was so good. Tell us how we can contact you if we'd like to work with you or just get more information about what you do and who you are.
0: Yeah, sure. Thanks for that. There's so many different ways you can find me. If you're interested in the books, you can find them on Amazon or check out www.newroi.com. That's the website for the new ROI returning individuals There's some biographical info about me there as well. Also some interesting HR and motivational quotes that you can download. Several of them have been shared around the world many times. So that's fun. You can check out the podcast behind the numbers. It's available wherever you stream. You can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm Dave Bookbinder. And you can also find me at my company's website, which is hfco.com. I am the executive director of valuation services at Hafley Flanagan.
1: Dave, thank you so much for being with us.
0: Been a lot of fun. Hope we can do this again sometime.
1: Definitely. And until next time, play big faster.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode and remember to play big faster.